version. So I'm like, ew. <laughs> Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to Coffee Talk. I'm Ashley. And I'm Enid, and we're here today with Zach Zenkaresti, and um, a YouTuber who's um, making videos about um, uh, dyslexia and how it's not such a bad thing. And Zach also happens to be one of my students, so we're so happy to have you here today, Zach. I appreciate it, and thanks for having me on. So, uh, how, long, how long have you been one of Enid's students? Uh, I think it's coming up on, is it three, four months? Yeah, a few months. That's yeah, closer. It's closer around there. Mm-hmm. As and soon I, as I started summer, I think. It was funny. We um we all my students have to pick a book to read with me, uh, which I have to say is very important out there to everybody working with students with dyslexia. Um, for the parents to understand that students can work on things in isolation, but they need to generalize them into actual books or actual reading passages. And so all my students work with me on reading, generalizing their skills into a book. And so Zach picked uh, dot com secrets, which um, about building a business and building, um, you know, dot com business. Um, and so together we were reading the book and it, it at that point was too above his, I mean, it was at his grade level. He, he could read the book just fine. So there was no point in any more working on the book. So we've dropped the book, but we learned, I learned a lot from the book and continue to read the book. And then from then, the next thing I know, he comes to me and says, I think I'm going to start a YouTube channel. So Zach, tell us about that. Um, well, I kind of just started a YouTube channel. It was, uh, it took a lot of procrastinating, but, um, I finally got there. I was actually, uh, I was laying in bed, like playing some games and stuff. And I was like, all right, if I lose this game, I'm going to make a YouTube video. And I lost the game. So I was like, all right, I guess I got to get on my computer and make a YouTube video. So I, I, uh, I think I started making it at like nine o'clock and uh, I, I, I kept on working on it until like two. And then I was like, okay, so I'll see what happens and I'll post it in the morning. And then it, we got it posted and it started, you know, getting some views and I posted on Facebook and, uh, it, it got some attention for sure. And it worked out really well. I got a lot of good feedback and, uh, yeah. Are you talking, Ashley? Oh, that was yeah. because Sorry. your dog was moving. But you were no, like, well, I muted because my dog started barking. So. <laughs> I was about to say something, but I'm like, I think she's talking. Um, what is what was what was your video about? What what is your YouTube channel about? Um, it was more just talking about like that, like just to help like parents understand about dyslexia, just from like my kind of perspective, to like help you know understand what their kids going through. Oh wow! How many videos have you made so far? Uh, only one. I'm working on two. I, I have to edit my second one. So. <laughs> <laughs> and and Zach, some parents have asked you some really good questions. What are some questions that you've been asked that you've been able to answer for some parents? Um, a lot of people ask me like what helped what helped me with like learning how to spell. And one of the biggest things for me, and I know it's kind of it's kind of weird, but uh, getting that phone for me. So when I got a phone in third grade, you know, when you're texting and stuff, you kind of like just like catch on to like you know typing and like. And you got the, then it corrects you. So like, that's kind of what really helped me a lot. So that's kind of what made me go higher with my reading. It's interesting that you say that because one of my most um, profound dyslexics, most significantly affected with dyslexia, with the struggles, uh, he, the way he started to really be able to make those connections was also with Surrey and with the phone. And he would say, oh, I would say, ask Surrey to spell it for me. And then I would see it. And then I would make that connection of how it looked. And right. so many of our, so many individuals who are dyslexic have that ability to be able to see visual patterns. 
and think visually and see visually. And so to be able to, that's such a great strategy, Zach. And that's something that interestingly, intuitively, many dyslexics pick up on. And I know with, with Zach, I, I, I can share that Zach probably visually has a visual memorization for, I would say, thousands of words. Zach can spell very complicated words. And then if you don't mind me sharing, Zach, sometimes when I first met you, the, the struggle was with more of the things where it was more phonics based. Um, and so because Zach hadn't been given proper structure in phonics and back, you know, foundation in phonological awareness and phonics. And so, um, but that's an easy fix for someone at Zach's point, because Zach's already figured so much of it out. Um, and so, but the point is, is, is it's amazing how with that visual ability and given that strategy, um, students are able to recognize words, even when they're not able always to, you know, have all the phonics skills. So you've definitely represented that. And that's a lot of students. And that confuses a lot of people because these students are so bright and so intelligent and, as Zach is, is. And so it's, it's, um, it's very, these students are very good at com compensating. And that's where we get stealth dyslexia twice exceptional. These kids are very, very bright. And so they will you know, go by and go by and go by. And then it's, it, there's a point where they hit a wall. They hit a wall because the compensation only works for so long. So, um, and, and then the schoolwork gets harder and harder and harder. And I think you're seeing that now, Zach, too, right? The schoolwork now and. Yeah, it's just more of a math, more massive schoolwork. And just like, I'm thinking like some of these teachers are crazy because they're getting me, you know, so much work to do. I'm like, you know, like, well, what do you think I am? Like Einstein or something? <laughs> but, but it's not about intelligence. It's about stamina and being able to have the foundational skills. And if you have all the foundation, it shouldn't. You shouldn't have to work so hard. School shouldn't. I mean, so if the foundational skills are all there and, and, and everybody's been given everything that they need up until that point, then, I mean, yes, there is way too much homework. But that being said, it's, um, it's, it's, it's not as much of a challenge. You don't have to work so hard just to get things done. Um, I mean, you see that, Ashley, even just with when you were in school versus, you know, didn't you say you're, am I speaking? Yeah, no, you've known other people, though, growing up that have struggled. And so comparing yourself to that, knowing that, you know, when you have a little, when you have those holes, it's right. just a little bit harder. Yeah. I mean, you know, my sister and I have joked over the years about how we would have most of our homework done before we even got home at the end of the school day, because homework was so easy and so quick and, right. you know, you could, you could get it done unless you had to do things like research papers, you know. Right. Um, You're one of those people. I'm one of those. No, I know it. <laughs> It, but I was like growing up, I'm like, ah, oh, I wish I could, you know, school could be that easy. And it would just frustrate me because I'm like, why is it so easy for them and so hard for me? Definitely. Yeah. You know, but I'm watching, especially for my son, because he's made that transition from elementary into junior high. Right. And so it's a completely different set of expectations. The um, my husband keeps referring to it as elementary was play. And now you're in school. So you know, we're having to teach him how to study. We're having to teach him how to take notes. I'm trying to teach him failing abysmally here, but I'm trying to teach him how to like organize his papers and his notebooks and stuff. And, you know, but that's where a lot of his executive function kicks in and he doesn't want, you know, he's, I, I will tab everything and label everything. And, you know, he's just got random 
um, papers just like piled together and he's got math and English and theater and science all in like one stack. And it's like, mm -hmm. okay, the science thing was a 10 page document. Here's a page, here's a page, here's a page. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I, he's like, I know it upsets you mom, but I need you to let it go right now. So that's like a big thing that we keep talking about. Um, well, you bring up a really important point about executive functioning because I find this really interesting. Zach has extremely amazing executive functioning skills, I have to say. Um, me, not so much. Some, many dyslexics, not so much. Some, I have several others that their executive functioning skills or organizational skills are exceptional. I, I might, my hypothesis on this, and I don't know, is that if it's another way that dyslexics compensate and they, and they master skills, they master gifts, right? So for some, I think, and some, it might just be a brain thing. And I'm not sure the people who understand the brain better could, could, could tell me that. But truly, I've watched students that even at a very young age have mastered the art of organization and executive functioning because that's something that they know that they can do. And, mm -hmm. and they're maybe when they're struggling in another area. And yeah. I, because the reason why I say this is because I believe we can work with kids on executive functioning really early. And I believe we can help them foster that as well, the way Zach figured it out. Um, the way a lot of my other students figure it out. But I do yeah. believe it's something that like you're doing with your son, um, that's a spectrum with dyslexia. Some are very weak in executive functioning, some are extremely strong. And so for whatever reason that is, um, we do know scientifically that we can improve executive functioning, that we can work on it and improve it. It can always improve. So it's interesting. Well, and I think part of the problem is, is we throw so much at the kids at once. You know, and Zach, you can yeah. probably attest to this too. Um, you know, he went from never having to do a whole lot of that to all of a sudden he's having to study, take notes, be organized. Um, he's on an online platform. Every teacher does it differently. He has to do one click for attendance, a different click for a Zoom session, a different click for his assignment, a different click for where his notes are stored, a different click for something that he's got to submit. Then he's got all of his accommodations and his assistive technology tools. I mean, it's it it's a snowball. It's an overwhelming snowball. And so I'm like, I need to let the organization go because that's my thing, not his thing. We need to just concentrate on, let's just get your homework turned in. <laughs> but you are helping him. So try to maybe do it in small chunks or find ways because it's not, instead of letting it go, it's something that's... Right. But Zach, would you say somebody helped you with it? Or would you say you just, because I said like, you came to the world with confidence. Did you come to the world with executive functioning skills too? I mean, I guess, I don't know. I kind of just like adapted to like whatever I had to do. And I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm a person that's organized. And I mean, I have a whole list of stuff that I need to do. And like for schoolwork and just like, I have like four pages of schoolwork that I need to do. Just like all notes, like, and, you know, I have a little check mark when I'm done with it. And, you know, I just know what I need to do. It's just a, that really helped me for the past like week or so. I just started to get into that part of the, you know, notes and stuff. Do you seek out organizational strategies or do you feel like people have helped you with that along the way? Is your mom very you know, organized? Uh, my mom is pretty organized, but I don't think I learned it from her. I think I'm just an organized person and just in general. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know where all my stuff is and, you know, when I'm working on stuff, I know where my tools are, just like everything. Like I just know where everything is. I like to know where it is. Well, from a brain perspective, that might be the visual because you you are very strong visual perceptually. So that might be in time in tune with that. You know, you needing things kind of in an order of organization. Um, your teachers comment on how you help them organize their computers, and so it's at a level that's higher than most as well. 
So um, it's, it's definitely, when we talk about gifts of dyslexia, um, it's, I think that's one thing that Zach really wants to share on his YouTube videos as well as the, the gifts. And, and I, I think it's important when we talk about gifts versus we don't even have to say weaknesses. I think we can say struggles because everybody has struggles. And I even see it as a struggle that my, some of my non-dyslexic friends can't see outside of the box or see the big picture, you know, that's a struggle for them. So I think we need to look at it because we focus so much on the struggles of dyslexics or the weaknesses of dyslexics. And then, you know, are there really gifts? There's a ton of gifts. And we, we, we definitely, Zach and I talk about that a lot, and, but everybody has struggles. And so, yeah, it's a struggle for other people that they can't, they don't have some of the gifts of dyslexia as well. So <laughs> I see it that way. Um, but yes, it's, it's one of those things where just when I was introducing Zach, I, I got it. I got a little flustered and, and because I could, I have an issue with names sometimes we've talked about this. And so I wanted to bring that up because dyslexics sometimes have a difficult time saying names or, or in sometimes months of the year and things like that. And for me with names, I'm not one of those um, dyslexics that's gifted visually perceptually at all. Um, I don't have the visual skills. Um, that's, a, that's a struggle for me, but I'm very strong auditorily. So if someone tells me their name in a conversation, I won't forget it because I heard it. But if I see a name first and I get it stuck in my head, it's a certain way, I get confused visually. So now you add the auditory to it and I can't, I can't do it. I think, oh no, it must be that way. It must be that way. I can't. But then when, when Zach was able to tell me his name one more time and I was able to see it one more time, I was able to do it. Now I, I pretty much have it. Point is, is it, those are the struggles, but it, you know, we get through life in spite of those little struggles, but that is one of those things. Um, names can be very difficult for individuals with dyslexia. Um, but again, I'm auditory, he's visual. So we all have different strengths and weaknesses in that way. Um, but we compensate and we get through because we have so many gifts. So on both sides, whether we're dyslexic, non-dyslexic, whether we're on the, the spectrum, um, of autism, whether we have Down syndrome, um, everybody has, you know, gifts and struggles. So, sorry, I just had to get on my little soapbox about that because it's Dyslexia Awareness Month and I definitely am so passionate about talking about the gifts. So, Zach, what would you say are some of your gifts or strengths? You froze. I think he froze. He froze. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely frozen. <laughs> He'll be back shortly. Oh, we lost him. No, come back. I'll come back. So, and I know that's in it, funny enough, and I'll just say this right before he comes back. It's kind of a controversial subject, whether it it's is dyslexia. And, and I do understand that when you've struggled your whole life, um, you're like, where's the gift, right? Um, and so I do understand that. However, I think we need to find whatever gifts we have, whether it's you know, having compassion for others and animals, whether it's, you know, being empathetic and being able to walk in somebody else's shoes or having a, 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 a visual um, ability to see art and, and pr produce art. I had a student yesterday say to me, well, my grandma says if you're not good at reading, then you better be good at spelling or writing. And she goes, and I'm not good at any of those. And I said, well, grandma, grandma is, is came from a time when they actually taught us the way we needed to learn how to read. And so grandma doesn't understand right now what's going on and the struggles you have with your brain. And I said, and she said, yeah, but then I'm not good at math either. And my, my siblings, you know, they're good at this and that, and I'm not good at anything. And I said, you're good at so many things. And then we started talking about them. And I said, people don't judge art in school. You don't get a grade for your art. 
-hmm. You don't get a grade for your PE, not in the way that you get a grade for other things. You don't get a grade for many of the different ways we can show our gifts. And so when we just, when we just um, look at it in terms of, you know, whether how, what we get from our boss or whether what we get, you know, what we get from grades or, you know, that sort of like mark of approval, then that's when we decide whether we have gifts or not, or whether we're good at things or not. Or, But I think that there's a semantic piece here. And I think that you kind of hit on it pretty well. So you're talking about gifts as in, you know, what each of us has that's special for us. That's our talent. That's our strength. That's our et cetera. Versus I think what the community pushes so strongly back against is the concept that dyslexia itself is a gift. And when they, Oh, right. Yeah. So when, you know, you have people who have struggled so significantly in their life because, you know, their, their schools didn't teach them how to read, you know, verbal abuse, different various things that have happened to them in their lives. When people talk about dyslexia itself being a gift, I think that that's something that very much, or at least what I've seen, because I'm not, I can't speak to it personally. What I've seen is that people push back against that and go, I, I, you know, I'd rather not be dyslexic because then I think that, you know, my struggles wouldn't have been there like, like they were, you know, maybe it would have been easier. Mm -hmm. So I think that, I think that that's a semantic piece that, because I, I, I love how you're looking at it. And, but I recognize the sensitivity from the community as a whole. And, but I see them as two different things. Does that kind of make sense? Oh my gosh. I love how you explained that so much because that's exactly what it is. It's that the, the struggle was not the gift. The struggle was never the gift, right? The, 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 the fact that it, I had to work 10 times harder than everybody else. And that's kind of what I was saying earlier when I was saying, oh, you're one of those people, you know, because my whole life, I'm like, why, why can it, it was so hard for me. Right. Then, and it's not, you know, it, it was just more of a, like, not understand the way that, that some people don't understand what it's like to be dyslexic and, or to be neuro tip, you know, um, neurodiverse. It's the same way that I could never understand why you could just read the book and, and take the test, why you could just get the assignment done. You know, it's that, that really um, difficult time understanding how, how we can all be so different in the brain and how we process things. Mm -hmm. However, um, but I love how you explain that, that it doesn't feel like a gift to so many because it's caused so many uh, struggles, problems, um, difficulties. And, um, and I think that when you're an adult and you've lived it and it's, it's brought you nothing but a lot of challenges. Um, yeah, I can totally relate to that. I can totally relate to the fact that it wouldn't be a gift and that that's in that it would, that it's frustrating that people would say it. However, I think when we have these precious little beings, these precious little minds that are so, you know, open to possibilities and to potential, I think we need to help our children, um, as well as our adolescents and our adults that we connect with, um, let them know that, yes, it feels horrible. It feels like, like the worst thing ever. It feels like such a struggle. Um, however, these are the things we need to focus on. These are the things that we need to focus on. Yay. Right. Just perfect timing. But these are the things that we need to focus on so that th this student can then know that that they have gifts, right? And that it can be a gift because it, it can come, I get it. I get that it cannot be a gift. It can feel horrible. But in my life, I, I now see it as a gift. I see the fact that I can see outside of the box as a gift. I see the fact that I can see the big picture as a gift. I see the fact that I can connect with many different people 
as a gift. You know, those are gifts to me. And without my struggles, I wouldn't have those gifts. And one of the reasons why individuals with dyslexia, I believe, are so empathetic and compassionate is because they've struggled, right? So the struggle actually gives you gifts as well. And one of the reasons why individuals with, ten- with uh, dyslexia have so much tenacity is because they've struggled. And, and you know, 34% of, you know, a group of people in, surveyed, you know, that are entrepreneurs had dyslexia because they struggled. And mm-hmm. you talk to any entrepreneur that's successful that had dyslexia and they say it's because of the struggle because they know that they can overcome any obstacle that a business will give them. They don't see things as, oh, I can't do that. They say, oh, it's an obstacle. I've overcome them before. Now it's, it's, you know, it's mindset too, you know? So all those things combined at any age, we can help individuals see that they have gifts. I mean, I meet people all the time and especially dyslexia awareness month where I say, oh, you know, dyslexia, I'm telling them about, oh, I think I have, or they say it kind of sad. I think I have that. And I'll say things like, oh, well, you're highly, then you're a highly creative thinker or, you know, you, you, you're able to think outside of the box or this or that. And I'll mention some things that are strengths for individuals with dyslexia. And they say, yeah, I, I do have all that. So now they see it differently. So I think, you know, but as young children, we really have to help them see their strengths and their gifts that they have so that they can focus on those and not focus on the, weak, the struggles, the weaknesses, actually, that cause struggles. Um, and, and if we can do that, it's unbelievable what they can see they can accomplish because these are very intelligent individuals. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's no reason that they that that individuals with dyslexia shouldn't be thriving. So. But I understand why why there would be why there would be um, why they wouldn't be why they would fe- have feelings of because I've I've lived that I've lived feeling like I wasn't good enough and I couldn't do anything right um, from that from those feelings of school and feeling like you know for a long time I did but the more I focused on my strengths and the more I focused on what I was good at the more I could do more of that and the more more of that came so. Um, so as we were saying before, sorry because we I went on my soapbox. Ashley was able to really explain. Um, this issue that we have of, you know, in our, in our community, which is a very, um, I'm very sensitive to it too. I do understand um, that there's a lot of angst and a lot of pain that comes with the struggle. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm not trying to say that that's not there for many. Um, I just really want to encourage us to kind of see it in a different way and really focus on, on the positives. So, and I know Zach with you, um, you have a lovely family and I know I'm sure they did much of that when you were young. I'm sure they, they, they pushed you in directions that you were of things that you were good at. Um, so, and then there's some things that you figured out along the way that you're just able to intuitively um, figure out about yourself to know what you're good at as well. So what would you say are some of your, um, your strengths, your gifts, things that you think because you have dyslexia are a good thing. I think he froze again. We keep losing him. Oh my we gosh. Keep losing him. So his mother did comment and she said, um, that the internet is being very dysfunctional where they are right now. So I have to say in Sacramento, California, and I don't know if it's the fires, but their internet right now is because I have a couple of clients. It's really crazy, but I just, yeah, no. And I do, I want to say Zach is a gifted, uh, uh, water skier. Oh my gosh. He can do so many crazy. And, and again, it's that maybe, um, that thing where he's like, I'm just going to do it. Right. I mean, the way he does in school, I'm just going to do it or whatever. But he, um, I couldn't do any, I wouldn't even have the guts to do half the stuff he does on water skis. And it's not just water skis. He water surfs like, um, behind a boat, like <laughs> all these crazy things. Um, uh, 
a gifted communicator. I'm just going to give some of the gifts that I know while he's not here. Since a uh, very gifted communicator, I spoke with the um, an IEE evaluator that evaluated him the other uh, last week, and she said it was a true honor and privilege to evaluate this young man. She said he is so charming and such a good communicator. So that was you know from an outside person just. Uh, and so he has ideas that you can't even believe. I mean, he's, he's, I want to hire him. He's 14. And he says, you know, Miss, you know, Enid, you know, you can, you can do this for your business and you can do that. And I was, I was sitting, I was joking around with him the other day. I said, should we, should we tell everyone on coffee talk about your business savvy? He says, don't, don't tell him my secrets. <laughs> so he's so smart. He's so intuitive. He has so many great ideas and he's smart enough to know, no, we're not sharing my secrets. I got some good ones. So um, he's very, um, yeah, great business ideas. Will be an entrepreneur, no doubt in my mind. And uh, sometimes when I speak with him, I think I'm talking to an 18-year-old, just based on his ideas and and just. Uh, but this is a student who, and I'm sure his mom won't mind me sharing since we can't have him on right now. But this is a student who struggled. Um, you can see how charming he is. You can see um, what a nice young man he is. And he struggled with behavior. And I think that's another reason. I think this is good for us to talk about because this is so many students out there of so many of our parents um, where they have these great kids, these great kids who are very intelligent, very sweet, go to school with, you know, um, like they talk about just happy and well-adjusted and everything's great. And they get into school. And um, it was, I think, about second grade that he started to hit a wall. And he'll, he said to me that I said, well, when, what year, what was your best year in school? So it was basically first grade because second grade was the worst and second grade. And then it kind of went downhill from there. And he remembers that second grade got really hard. So uh, what was fascinating is mom, his mom went back through and um, his IEPs over the years, just recently we had an IEP and she went back through all the IEPs that he'd had. And in second grade, there was a comment that said that Zach said that he was acting out because he couldn't read. The student said, I'm acting out because I can't read. I mean, how much more clear can we be, <laughs> you right. know? And so it, it's just, it's so important that we, we, we all realize that and that, you know, and that, that we're able to help the school see that my student is not this is not my student. My student is acting out because he's trying to tell us something. So I want to share. So his mother just wrote that he's so upset right now that he keeps getting kicked off uh, from the internet. So um, Zach, we totally understand. And we're here when you come back. Um, you can comment, Zach. <laughs> you can, and we can read all of your comments out loud. Um, but based on what you were just saying, Enid, I think that that, that is such a critical conversation that we need to be having because that's such a core piece that is ignored. And mm -hmm. we talked about it in the newsletter that we just released on October the 1st. Mm -hmm. um, Lauren Taylor authored a piece called Behaviors Before Dyslexia. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, we're looking at the behavior of our children before we ever ask the question, you know, what's the underlying cause of the behavior that's going on here? Mm -hmm. You know, how's the child doing? Are they struggling? Are they, um, you know, before my son hit the wall, everybody was like, oh, he's so sweet. He's trying so hard. He's doing this and he's doing that. But, you know, at home, he was becoming more and more sad mm -hmm. with each passing day. And, you know, he was always such a joyous 
child. I mean, joy just exuded from him all the time. It's like he walked around with a permanent smile on his face. And school took that away from him. But he was he was happy when he was there. Um, he did struggle a little bit with the friendships that he had, you know, because he but that was more of being an only child than anything else. He kind of didn't know how to share very well. <laughs> but, you know, when he hit the wall, he hit the wall in a very dramatic, angry, and kind of violent way and violent to himself, not to anybody else, but violent to himself. Um, Zach's going to try to log on and join us one more time. Um, but you know, a lot of the kids get looked at for behavioral issues. And we moved from private school to public school. And I spent two and a half years having the ADHD argument with them because they were instantly saying, we think he is ADHD and, you know, we, you need to be doing something about this. And I'm sitting here going, my, he doesn't have ADHD. And my husband and I were both adamant about that. And then I got set up in a school meeting where I got blindsided. It was so poorly done, but I got blindsided by three teachers and the principal with a very clearly scripted out scene to perform in front of me. And I had an advocate hired at the time and she grabbed my leg under the table because she could feel the anger starting to come off of me and just, waves. And I agreed per what per her recommendation to go ahead and let them screen him for dyslexia. And of course the paperwork came back, you know, we think that he's got eight or I, I said dyslexia, I meant ADHD. And of course the paperwork came back saying, you know, we feel quite strongly with all of the indicators that we score on that your child has ADHD, but of course we can't make a medical diagnosis, but you know, it still sat incredibly wrong with my husband and I, and I sent the report to our pediatrician and I've, I've said this before, but we truly have absolutely the most amazing pediatrician on the planet. And he calls me that night at 6 p.m. And he spoke to me for an hour on the phone, specifically about my child and specifically about this document from the school. And he, you know, he gets on the phone with me. He's like, Ashley, I've been his pediatrician since he was two. Your child doesn't have ADHD. What, what is going on here? Um, but see, that's, can I just say something really quick? That's yeah. an easy one for the school district because in the state of California, they actually can say you have to medicate your kid or, or we don't have to have your kid. So be careful out there with people saying your kid has ADHD. They could, right. but a lot of times dyslexia and ADHD look the same. And I'm not saying, you, you know, but it, especially if they have behaviors. So, and that's an easy one because they can say, oh, they have ADHD. You should medicate. It's not our problem. You know, so uh, yeah. That's right. something where it's, that is, that's wonderful that your doctor pointed that out because it's so easy. And especially if they look at, as a parent, I mean, I would have even myself in education, if somebody said your child has ADHD, um, she seemed very ADHD. I would have said, okay, that sounds about right. But you know, mm -hmm. and then you look a little further and you're like, no. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and so there were, there were two key things. The first one was the pediatrician wrote a, letter to the school that said, I'm his doctor, you're not, 
don't practice medicine without a license. This is not an ADHD child. And if you have any more concerns, you need to take it up with me. And I was like, yes, I love you. And the second thing that he did specifically was he, he even offered to attend an ARD meeting with me in order to put this to bed. Um, then, then a very different thing happened. So I engaged an occupational therapist privately to evaluate him for um, his dysgraphia. And she works with him for a few hours and she comes to me and specifically I hadn't told her anything because this was an OT that didn't want to know anything. She just wanted to know what was the purpose of why I was hiring her. And I said, because he has dysgraphia, I just want you to evaluate him because I hear that, you know, an OT is who's got to work with my kid. She was like, okay, that's all I need to know. So she sat down with me and she said, the school says he has ADHD, don't they? And I went, how do you, how do you know that? And she said, because your son has sensory processing and midline issues, as well as his dysgraphia, both are, both are components of his dysgraphia. She said, but when your child is under cognitive stress, he's fidgeting. The greater the cognitive stress, the greater the fidgeting. She said, it's his comfort mechanism that's kicking in because he's in fear. Well, I'm wondering how many kids out there, because my kid is super sensory processing disorder kid. Um, I wonder how many kids out there, what the correlation is between kids who have dyslexia and sensory processing disorders. Anyone who knows that information, we'd love to know. <laughs> I guess I could research it. But seriously, it does seem like a lot of them are sensory seekers specifically. Mm -hmm. um, interesting. Yeah. So we have a couple of comments from Zach's mom. So... First, she said um, this was exactly his struggle as well. Academic frustration for Zach was so often mistaken as behavioral issues. And I used to ask his teachers to let him go run a lap on the field at break time to just burn some of his energy and redirect his mm -hmm. frustration. Definitely. No, that's uh, so important for any of our kids. Get that energy out. Definitely. And, you know, big thing, especially if your kids are in elementary school, get it written into their plans. Don't take recess away from these kids. Just ever. Ever. I saw get that post from Tiffany about, you know, um, Tiffany James from Nessie about the keeping kids in at recess. I went to the special trailer at recess lunch, lunch recess in fourth grade for my times tables. I'll never forget it. It, it was very upsetting because, you know, you, you met. And so when you were talking earlier about Graham's social issues, when kids are being held in at recess, because yeah. they're not learning concepts. They're being punished twice. They're right. being punished because they're not able to work on social skills out on the playground. And they're right. not able to build those friendships. And they're being punished because they still not, you know, they're still not learning it. They're just being spending more time in the struggle. So right. yeah, that's a huge issue. And huge issue. And I, you know, I'm adamant that it needs to be in your plan. I know I and you you were the advocate in one of the meetings where I was like, you're going to add it. And they went, no, we're not. Yeah. Yeah, and you are. <laughs> you are. You're going to be adding that. There's no reason yeah. to take this away from a kid. No. And, I, and I never got it out. I never got it added to his IEP plan, but they were like, you know, we'll never take away his recess. And, you know, but we can't add it because of this, that, and the other, you know, they, they had a litany of, of excuses yeah. why they couldn't add it. And I looked at them and I said, all right, but here's the deal. If you're not going to add it to the plan, if it ever happens, I will rain hell. Just right. know that now. Yeah. 
Right. So, yeah. you know, yeah. push, push me, please. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I wanted to, before I forgot, I wanted to bring up a point about second grade. So kids hit a wall in second or third grade, really hit a wall of like hating school or loving school, or this is hard, or this isn't hard. Um, and one of the reasons why is because if you look at standard core curriculum in any state, there are certain core fundamental foundational skills that need to be mastered, um, not just to move on to the next grade, but to understand the next concepts in language. So mm -hmm. there are certain things that, um, uh, like, so for instance, phonological awareness skills. We talk a lot about phonological awareness skills. Students need to have rhyming, syllable awareness and sound segmentation by the end of second grade. Okay, there's others, but those are the most important. And so these students don't, and the school districts don't really check. They do these little screeners, but the screeners don't totally make sure that they get all that, right? So some kids have mastered certain clapping. They understand certain rhythm of clapping for syllables, but they don't understand the concept of syllables. Or they can they can segment uh, simple words, but not ones with more complex blends and um, more complex words. So if they're not giving appropriate screeners at the end of second grade, and they're not finding these holes, uh, these holes don't fill themselves. <laughs> so yeah. the same holes that weren't filled for Zach in second grade we're still there when I met him three months ago. Mm -hmm. So of course there's going to be struggle. And, and there's no way that the parents necessarily, there's no way the parents could have known this, that somebody needs to show them that there's these holes, right? So the reason why there's no way they could know this is because they, they report, and everybody can relate to this, who's been an IEP who's had a phonological awareness test, okay? They say, oh, Here's your child's standard scores for the phonological awareness. Oh, they're coming out at the 79% or standard score for segmentation or this or that. They're giving you standard scores. It doesn't really mean a whole lot. And they might even say they're average. And yet they're average on the test, but maybe they have a really low score in one subtest. And that means they have a hole. A low score in a subtest means they have a hole. So in order to fill those holes appropriately and make sure the school district is, is making sure that those skills are, are being mastered and holes are being filled, you need to get the protocol of the phonological awareness test. Nothing else helps you. So if you don't have the protocol and you can look at the protocol and say, oh my gosh, he got uh, you know, zero or two out of 10 on rhyming, it appears he doesn't have rhyming. Oh, he got, you know, three out of 10 on syllables. It appears he doesn't have syllables. Then we need to write a syllable goal and a rhyming goal. Whatever holes they have, they need to have a goal for it. Giving them a program doesn't help them if they don't have specific goals to meet those skills. So <laughs> I can't stress that enough. So if you're, if you're concerned about your child, you don't feel like they're reading at grade level, you feel like they're struggling, you feel like there's behavior, you feel like it's reading related, ask, request a, a phonological awareness test, request a full psychoeducational evaluation, but make sure there's a phonological awareness test. Um, there's, you know, a couple that are the gold standard that they're using, but it's a standardized phonological awareness test. Um, and then you ask for the protocol, ask for the protocol at the IEP, look at the protocol, see where the holes are, and then demand that they write goals specifically for where those holes are, because they will not fill themselves. Every single student I meet in third, fourth up to high school still has holes in phonological skills. And it's not hard, especially in second grade, to fill those holes. You don't even need a whole program. You literally could just work on rhyming with the students or syllables or whatever it is that they need um, at that level 
and write a goal for it. And it's just so important though. It's second grade, third grade, because then if you don't get it, then the comp compensation starts, the compensatory strategies start. Now those are bad habits we have to break. So mm -hmm. we have those two issues. We have the issues of they're not finding the holes for the students at the end of second grade. So we have to be proactive as parents and go in there and say, I want this test because I feel they're not progressing in reading, writing and spelling. Um, and if that happens, it'll be a lot easier to catch them earlier before they have the, the, the really, you know, develop the behaviors and the, um, you know, the compensatory strategies and just the hate, the hating of school and the hating of reading and all of that. So a couple of things. One, Zach is completely locked out, um, but he's sitting with his mom listening. And she also wrote that second grade was Zach's hardest year. Um, I, I can say that for my child, he was never going to learn to read in the environment that he was in. It just absolutely was not going to happen. And he did start acting out in pre-K four. Um, you know, he started acting out more in kindergarten. Kindergarten was still fun. Pre-K four, you know, still had a lot of fun to it. So the acting out seemed kind of normal for, for a child, not excessive in any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. It was the sadness that began in, in first grade, you know, and he was at the end of first grade. And by the way, I can show you two years of report cards for kindergarten and first grade saying what an amazing decoder he is becoming and how his automaticity is progressing and what a good reader he's becoming and how proud they are of him, of how hard he's working. But they weren't checking his phonological awareness skills. <laughs> when he hit the wall, he could not tell you the sounds of all of the letters of the alphabet. He couldn't take two letters and combine them into a sound at all. He was, you know, he, he could recognize the word the on a piece of paper because he had memorized it. Mm -hmm. And an A, not, not A and D, A N. He couldn't write, he couldn't memorize A and D. Yeah, many of these kids are good memorizers for certain things, really good memorizers right. for certain things, yeah. So everybody's cheating off of him for math, and he's cheating off of all of them for reading as much as he could. But the fact of the matter is he couldn't read at all. I mean, absolutely at all, could not take two, two letters and combine them into a sound in order to even begin to try to sound out a word. Could he memorize books because he could look at the pictures and figure Because I had some students who could just memorize the book. Like they'd no. get the book and memorize it. And then they'd convince everyone they'd learned how to read. Yeah. No, he never did that. Yeah. That was not something that he did. Um, so it was, it was a frustrating meltdown because when we got those um, evaluations back and I confronted the school with his report cards in hand, said he was lying to me for, Two years. <laughs> he's decoding. He's, you know, becoming a reader. I mean, y'all are just flat out lying here. Mm -hmm. It was just, it was so heartbreaking to me that I was like, I can't believe, I mean, first of all, you know, the parent shame that comes in with that yeah. of sitting here going, you've taken away my child's joy. You've broken my child and he's only right. 
seven. How dare you? But well, and it's so hard when parents are, you know, say things like, oh my gosh, and if I had just, and whatever, you know, I wish I would have. And it's like, you can't, you can't go back. All you can do is move forward. Right. But for those who are listening, who haven't gotten to that point yet, trust your gut and just Definitely. go with it. If you feel like, you know, if you feel like this isn't right, they're telling me my kid read and I know my kid can't read. <laughs> Go to them and say, I want this, you know, I want you to evaluate. I want, because sometimes, and these kids can fool. They can fool the people around them at school. They're smart kids. They are, you know, very stealth. Sometimes they can, they can just compensate. They can memorize things. They can, like you said, look on their, their neighbors, figure out what's going on. They're very good at observing other people, you know, um, very aware of their surroundings so they can get by. Many of them are very charming. Mm-hmm. Um, many, you know, some will act out. Some will try to become, you know, not, like invisible. You know, some it's just different ways that kids get by, which when you think about, I understand the point about it not being a gift in that terms. If you think about how, what you have to do just to get through a day in school, right. honestly, for a kid. And, and then when you get older, you know, and maybe for a lot of people, it's that way at work, you know, just to get through the day at work and things are so much harder. Right. So, you know, that is the part that doesn't feel like a gift, but um, yeah. So, so Zach's mom shared that sixth grade was his biggest year for academic progress. Mm. And I have to say it was probably a lot to do with the teacher because Zach, like so many students, when he makes a connection with the teacher, you know, and that teacher can make a connection with Zach or with any student. Um, it's, you know, they can, cause she probably tried to figure out how he learned and he's brilliant. So she was able to bring that in, you know, whereas some, some teachers, it's like anything else with, uh, when we focus on the strengths versus the weakness and the struggles. Right. So the teachers that are like, ah, why can't you just get your work done? Da, 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 da. You give up with that teacher. Right. But the right. teacher who's like, wow, you're amazing. I love your ideas. Can you share more of that with me? Can you tell me about this or whatever that brings that out in you? That's the teacher that that's going to make the difference. He said that's when he learned to read that uh, it just came to me. Okay. His words, it just came yeah. to me. Oh, wow. I love it. <laughs> Which is miraculous in a way because mm-hmm. it shows that he is so bright and he figured out in spite of the fact that they didn't fill all of his holes along the way. Right. So, but at least he's come across you and you're filling the holes, which will make him a better reader. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and for, 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 um, so some of the holes I want to say too, that are just real simple are things like stopping at periods and pausing at commas. Okay. That's one of those things they don't make real clear in school. They don't really explain punctuation. They're like, make sure you put a period at the end, make sure you capitalize, you know, but there's not a whole lot of why, you know? Um, and that there's, that there's, uh, we, we stop it periods and we pause at commas partly so we can reflect on what we're reading. We do it for expression. We do it so that we can separate thoughts, but we also do it so that we can stop and reflect and think about what we're reading. However, in school, they have these crazy things called fluency tests, which create this idea in kids' heads that they have to read quickly. So when you've been timed your whole life while reading, you believe that the the whole purpose of reading is to do it quickly. So you, when you're, when that is your purpose, your purpose is just to get through it and you're not stopping and pausing and and, and reflecting, you're Mm -hmm. not having high comprehension scores because you're just getting through it. So when students just get that little bit of awareness of what, that we stop and we pause and we reflect, it's, that increases comprehension, just that one little thing, just like that. So some of those, those are some of the holes. They're not like complicated holes. They're just little things that they kind of didn't get along the way that most kids don't get because it's not taught. Um, and so, 
So I want to read two comments. And the first one's from Zach's mom. Building his comment, or sorry, building his confidence, it shifted. Building his confidence helped relieve the pressure. Um, he left sixth grade at a fourth to fifth grade reading level. So there was still a limit, a limiting wall, but he definitely learned com compensation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then we had a comment from a parent, Tina. This is where as a parent, I can get confused on what tests are needed to figure out what the holes are. Okay. So for phonological awareness tests, you want a C-top or a gort? The FAR is one, but I like the C-top or the gort. So if you have a preference or the FAR, those are the three top ones. Um, and you want, a, you want a full standardized phonological awareness test. You don't want a screener because uh, depending on who's administering the screener, it's hard sometimes to get the little, you know, subtleties. So, and um, depending on the screener. And a what? And depending on the screener. Right. And it, it, and it actually says on the FAR that it should be administered by someone who has an understanding of dyslexia. So you want to make sure that it's a school psychologist or a speech pathologist, but pre preferably somebody that understands the whole understanding of phonological and dyslexia. Um, so that's, that's, that's what you want to find the phonological holes. Once you get one of those done, you, then, then I said, like I said before, you get a protocol. You go through the protocol, you find where they're weak, where they have, you know, low scores, whatever the low scores are, it's really easy to say, okay, I want a rhyming goal. I wanted this goal. I wanted that goal. Um, to find the holes as far as to see if kids aren't stopping at periods and pausing at commas, read with them <laughs> because you just have them read something and you can see that real fast. So read with your students and just see, are they stopping at periods and pausing at commas? And if they're not, explain to them why we do it. Say we need time to reflect. We don't need to read quickly. Um, and, and, and let them know, say they've given you the impression that you're supposed to read quickly. We know that because they, they really do. I asked them, I said, do you think you need to read quickly because of those time tests? Oh yeah. So we need to get that idea out of their heads. Um, the time yeah. tests, are the worst things ever. It's part of balanced literacy, let's just time and make them feel like if they can decode quickly, I don't know. I don't understand. I don't have an understanding for it because personally I read quite well, but I don't read quickly and that's just how I read and that should be okay. And maybe for understanding, you know, don't, let me. Don't get me wrong. I can scan like nobody. I can get information out of a page really quickly if I have to. But if I want to read for deep meaning, it's not going to be quick. Right. So we, we really have to get it out of their heads that they have to do But that. I think the speed thing is important because I'm, I know this year that that's a huge thing with my child. You know, he is racing through everything as fast as he possibly can. Part of it is he wants, he just wants it to be over with. Oh, and I get that. Yeah. He absolutely yeah. just no, wants it to be over It's with. horrible stuff. I mean, a lot of this stuff is really boring too, let me tell you, because I'm doing online work with kids and I'm thinking, are you kidding me? This is what they have to learn. It's not applicable to life. And it's just busy work, in my opinion. Nobody, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> we're going to be off on that tangent. But but part of it too, I think is, I, I definitely think that there's a, a fear-based thing there. Um, he's had a lot of anxiety over... Um, test because of course the he's virtual so of course the teacher on the zoom is telling the vast majority of the class you only have 50 minutes in order to complete the test and i'm sitting here going no you don't you have extra time and he's not believing me he's believing the teacher who's telling him that he only has 15 right. minutes to take the test right um he's had an instance where the teacher has loaded two versions of the test 
the tying test for everybody else and then the read aloud test for the kids that had dyslexia within the class. Mm -hmm. Well, it wasn't clear and he accessed the timed test, not the read aloud test. And mm -hmm. so he did only have 50 minutes in order to do the test. Mm -hmm. And so he was racing through it and we got to the end and I, you know, he was like, well, apparently I took the wrong test. Apparently I took the tying test. And I was like, no. Um, and he ended up doing pretty well on the test, but I, if he hadn't, I was really on the brink of going back to the school and going, so that's going to get erased. Yeah. Right. And this is a full do do over because I'm just like, no, you know what, you know, what's so crazy about that. Okay. So my daughter, my oldest daughter has always, since she was started school, scored two to three grade levels higher than her grade. Right. Always every single year. Um, they loved her for state testing. However, she, because we told her right off the bat, you take your time. She mm -hmm. was the last one. She didn't have accommodations. She was the last one always. Mm -hmm. And and had she not been allowed to just in her own self know that she always had that much time, she probably would have done poorly as opposed to really well, right? right? And so she was actually a student who, she was the opposite of me. I struggled on standardized testing. Anything with multiple choice, I doubted myself. I doubted. I would go, oh, no, it's not that. It might. So I would, I would do really poorly. And I would rush through it. She would struggle more in the class side of things. Um, because it was so boring then and excelled on testing. So that can happen too, you know, just. Yeah. So we have a question from a parent. What are the best tests to be able to repeat to track progress? C top two or dibbles or, 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 or list or some I've heard of. Our son had C top two before starting OG two years ago. Would it be good to repeat it now to see his progress? It was done privately. Our school does not use any tests like this to track progress and would love to know what to ask for. Okay. So so before you answer, I just want to say we get the gort on an annual basis every March 2nd. And that is what my family is using to track progress. And nice. it's done privately because the school flat out refuses to administer the gort on a yearly basis. Or the Okay. So let me just say this about that. The only so the tests that can only be administered every three years are tests that are related to IQ. So speech and language tests, IQ tests, those tests can't be given um, more than three every three years because there there's the fear that the student would somehow learn the test and it wouldn't be valid. However, so that's 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 accurate. You can't um, so when certain tests can only be given every three years. However. A CTOP, a GORE, and a FAR can be given every six months if you want. They can be given, you can't learn what you don't know. So if you are able to, if you can rhyme, um, if you can't rhyme the first time they give you the FAR or the CTOP or the GORE, and then you can rhyme the next time, you can rhyme. You can't do something you can't do, right? So you can learn kind of like how a test is set up on those other tests. But as far as a phonological awareness skill, you can't fake it. You can't. So that is the reason why some tests can't be given um, very often. But those ones, yeah, no, we could give them all the time if we wanted just to see if they've developed the skill because you either have the skill or you don't. And if you can demonstrate it on the test, you have it. So um, if they're saying it can't be given, it can be given as much as possible. However, they're probably not going to but I would think a year, even for the school district, if, if you have a student who's behind any more than six months behind and you want to make sure that they're not 
the gap is closing, not getting wider. I think you have every right to request it every year. Yeah. Um, there's no reason not to. Yeah. So I, I told the school that I wanted it more than anything because they were not giving me any other way because how they're tracking his goals are complete is completely arbitrary. Right. There's no scientific data behind that. And I want, I want mathematically quantifiable data in order to track his progress and his remediation. You have every right to request data. Absolutely. Yeah. So we use, because his first remediation was done through Linda Mood Bell, that's the baseline evaluation. And so he returns to Linda Mood Bell, like I said, every March 2nd. And this battery of tests are readministered, but it's the GORT that we hinge everything on. And that's what we graph from a year to year basis. And so um, I think he was, yeah, he was two years in and all of his GORT scores plummeted rather dramatically. I mean, like one to two years in each section, his GORT scores just plummeted. Um, and it was at that point that we figured out that he had orthographic dyslexia, that because his dyslexia had been so severe and his remediation had needed to be so intense that, you know, as, as we were able to, you know, give him tools, he was able to show us other weaknesses mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that were kind of hiding. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say hiding. It's yeah. not the right word, but they weren't presenting yet. They weren't presenting because mm -hmm. the reading was so overwhelmingly severe, right? Right. But for me, what was helpful too was we we worked as a team with his tutors, with different, you know, with different individuals that were helping guide us, et cetera, with that gort on an annual basis to go, okay, so this improved or this got worse. So it's definitely orthographic dyslexia. We need to adjust his remediation in, in these ways. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah, but when know, I, yeah. it was the guidepost, if mm -hmm. you will. Well, when I met him, his phonological skills were totally intact. So that was the good thing. And so that's just to, to say like in what we're talking about, you know, you made sure that they were, that it wasn't because sometimes, and this was what drives me batty. Okay. There are many great programs out there that are used, um, you know, certified OG programs. However, we, we say to ourselves, how can a student be progressing in a program and appear to be doing well in a program and then they can't read a book, okay? Or they can't, they're still not reading a book. They're still not writing a passage. And they're not generalizing the skills that they're learning in the program. This happens a lot. And so it, what they do though in IEPs is they say, oh, student will progress four levels on program. Well, again, if it's not generalizing into academics and they're not getting up to grade level, the program is useless. Okay, now I'm not saying these programs are useless. They're wonderful if we can use them in conjunction with writing appropriate IEP goals. So it, it doesn't do anybody any good to work on these skills in isolation and talk about a program and improving on a program if skills aren't improving throughout everything in academics. So we need to make sure that the goal that the, so I can't make this any clearer. So if ever anybody puts in your child's IEP that they will improve on a program, you have them take that goal out. Goals are not 
programs, we're not making them programs be the improvement. The right. student's skill is what needs to be the improvement. So when it says that, you say, tell me this, uh, these are the skills my student doesn't have. They don't have rhyming. They don't have syllables. They don't have segmentation. This is an example. I want a goal for rhyming. I want a goal for syllables. I want a goal for segmentation. And then you do that in your program. Great. And I also want to make sure this generalizes into the academics. So it's all of that needs to happen, but a program itself cannot stand alone as in, and especially not in a goal. We need to make sure that we're targeting the skills like you and did, that, by making sure the gort was done and you made sure these skills were being targeted. Right. And that's, and that's a huge thing that we find. And you and I have talked about this a lot. And you and Julie and I have talked about this a lot. You and Julie have talked about this a lot. And Julie and I, <laughs> right? So, um, which one? We talk about a lot of things, but yeah, what's this? Well, <laughs> completion, of, completion of a lesson in a program does not equal mastery of that yeah, skill set. We have talked about this a lot. Yes. So, you know, the focus needs to not be on checking off. Yes, we did lesson one. Yes, we did lesson two. Yes, we did lesson three. Did the child synthesize that information? Did that become part of their skill set or not? Are they able to use right. it? As you just said, not yes, we did lesson one. And or they moved through a level because that's how they say it in school. They go, oh, they're they're up. They're on level nine. What does that even mean? They're on level nine, but they're still right. not reading a book or writing a passage. And then here's the other thing. How are they? What evaluations are they using in order to test mastery of the individual skill sets? Because here's my favorite flipping recent thing. And I had told you about this, Enid. You're going to flip. Oh, no. <laughs> had a phone call the beginning of the year. She's sweet. She's trying. You know, it was, it was not this individual's fault. And she's telling me about this very specific evaluation that was performed, beginning of the year evaluation that was performed on my child in order to determine where he was, right? So, and I quote, so he scored six out of 10, which is 60%. And by district standards, that is complete mastery. So he's mastered that section with six out of 10 because, at 60%. Because they have really low standards in the districts. <laughs> because when, when a student is in eighth grade and they're reading at the fourth grade level and they say that's okay because that's average, that is a low, yeah, I know. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, I have to get off this phone call now. Thank you so much for this information. Okay, have a good day. Goodbye. Oh my God. And that is a problem. And that is a problem we all need to be concerned about is that the standards are low. So when you think your student is doing okay, it's because, especially when you're like, they don't, it doesn't feel like they're doing okay. And yet they're getting by because the standards are so low. I mean, even, and, and here's another thing too. So I was speaking to one of my friends who's an administrator at one point, and I said, so I'm going through all the things, the California state content standards, you know, they, they need to know prepositions at the end of second grade. They need to know plurals, pronouns. Um, most of these, they don't know, by the way, they need to know nouns, not just person, place or thing, but an actual example of a noun. There's, there's many things they need to know. Um, again, like I say, rhyming, segmentation, syllabus, you know, syllabification. And, and yet I say to my administrator friend, how do, do they check these things? Do they check for every student at the end of each year that they have these standards and that they have them all mastered before they move on to the next level? And he says, no, 
No, they don't really have a mechanism to check that. And then I said, so the third grade teacher checks it, right? And so then they can know what they have to work on. No, because they already have enough other stuff they have to work on. So just let's be clear. They have California, I mean, they have in every state, they have content standards, but nobody's actually checking to make sure your children are mastering them at the every end of every level. So you can actually go on. And again, I mentioned IXL before, but IXL is a great resource to find your state, Cali I mean, your state content standards and say, my kid doesn't know what plurals are. My kid doesn't know what this is. I'm going to go back to my district and say, they don't know all of these things. What are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. Definitely. So we have a couple of questions. One from uh, Monique. Enid, do you know where I can find that in writing? I love giving the CTOP because it is so informative, but I've been told not to because school sites use it for SPED testing. And they think if I give it, it will skew their scores. Is this Monique Everett Day? Yes. Well, I, I well, no, you can, I, I'll find it, Monique. Because <laughs> Monique should be giving it. Monique is really good at, at, yeah, no, no. And I said, I'm sorry, Monique, too, earlier, because I said school psychologist and speech pathologist, and, and, and Monique is a gifted reading teacher. So a gifted reading teacher obviously knows dyslexia, can give that very well. And so I should have said that earlier. So thank you, Monique, for, for saying something. I just, um, usually at the school, it is the school psychologist or the speech path that gives it. Um, but no, I will do my best to try to find that. But, um, yeah, no, it, it, well, she says, thank you. So <laughs> we have an, another comment from EK. How does GORP differ from CTOP2 at helping find out where the weaknesses are? Our son would be classified as orthographic dyslexic too. Phonological memory was his weakest score on the CTOP2, but really his biggest weakness is spelling. Does GORP go further into checking where they are in spelling? I like to give a phonics test to see where they are in spelling. And Monique, I would love for you to chime in at any point if you have any comments about this. But um, I like a, a phonological awareness test to focus on phonological awareness. Um, I'm not sure if what the phonics piece is on the GORT. I'd have to look at it a little bit further. So the GORT is rate, fluency, accuracy, and comprehension. Oh, so they do go further into phonics, whereas, whereas the CTOP and the um, FAR are, are just phonological. So... Um, and the reason why I brought up the GORT is because that's all some of the school districts have. I prefer the CTOP over all of them for um, phonological. However, the FAR and the GORT seem to be the two that are the most popular. Um, but I pr preferably the best case scenario, and I'm wondering what you think, Monique, is uh, a, a CTOP, a phonological awareness test, just phonological awareness, and then a phonics assessment. Um, for the phonics assessment, I like the... Um, the code knowledge test and the spelling um, developmental developmental spelling assessment. So Zach's mom came back and said that Zach says, thank you for having him on. And as his mom, thank you for honoring his strengths. Parents, out, parents out there don't give up. Don't give up hope for great accomplishments for your kiddos. Oh, and I want to say that the message that, that Zach really wants to get out there is that it's not bad to have dyslexia. It's actually a good thing. And, and he's going to continue to make YouTube videos. And we will put his link to his YouTube channel on here. Um, he welcomes uh, people getting engaged with him on his YouTube channel, asking questions. Um, it's, uh, it's just wonderful that he wants to share, uh, you know, the fact that he feels that it's, it's, it's a good thing. And I think that that's an, a really great role model for younger, younger children to see. Um, 
how, where he, where he is today. And he did have some struggles and he did have some challenges with behavior because he was frustrated, but he is a remarkable young man who, uh, I mean, the, the ideas he's already given me for my business and the way that his mind works is just, yeah, his ability to really truly think outside of the box is, is remarkable and so much about him. So I'm so, so honored to, to know you, Zach, and to have you on here today. And well, and I want to say, you know, that our children that are willing, it, it, it's a huge, brave thing. Our children that are willing to stand up and participate and be a voice within this movement, you know, like you and I have talked about, I mean, my son is like, don't put me on there. I'm not going to be your poster kid. This yeah. isn't going to happen for me, you know, and, and I'm not saying that that Zach is better than my son. It, it's a different level of, of bravery, you know, because I think that it takes a, a, a boldness of spirit to, to be willing to put themselves out there, especially when they're so young and, you know, to, to help, try to raise awareness on a, on a grander scale. And I additionally wanted to give a, a shout out to Titan Reads. It's a fantastic page on Facebook and I recommend that everybody follows it. But Titan wrote the most beautiful piece for us for our quarterly newsletter. And Which it's beautiful called, by the way. It so is isn't it? free newsletter, everybody for, with so much amazing, so many amazing contributions. So yeah, we're so, so impressed. I'm so impressed. And his article was called, It's Great to Be Different Things. Oh, I love that. And with his mother, we talked, we talked about it quite a bit. And Titan is only eight. And Titan is trying to help raise awareness for dyslexia as well. And, you know, he encourages boys and girls his age to reach out to him and, you know, he'll be their friend and talk about dyslexia with him. He's just such a courageous young man. And his, his mom and I talked about his, his piece for quite a bit. I mean, we, we had a really in-depth conversation because she said, we want to share both the edited and the unedited version mm. so that we can really show I love that. Dyslexia. Mm -hmm. And the struggle that can go into our kids having the dis their dyslexia. That's I have, to, I have a funny story to share really quickly because that goes along with it. Oh my gosh, that's funny because it's it's a really good point to show that it's not that we can't be successful as a dyslexic, really successful um, and it, but it, it might take a different path. Right? right. So it's funny that you say that. Cause I said to Zach, we were doing a paper the other night, an essay together. And I, he goes, Oh, it's okay. I'm going to, I'm going to edit it later. I'm going to have my mom go through it with me. And I go, Oh, that's right. Cause his mom is, is a gifted writer. And, um, I said, that's funny. I said, because she edited my report that I gave to the school district for the IEP. And he kind of laughed and I thought, no, because she's really good. And if I'm going to have it edited, I'm going to have it edited by the best, but right. I'm still going to have it edited. Right. Because I still know that with my dysgraphia that I'm going to miss a ton of things. And so it's just interesting that you say that. I think it's a really good point. It doesn't mean that, you know, just because we come out with a good piece, it doesn't mean that it was hard for us because I think some people who have dyslexia and, 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 and have really felt the struggle, I think they, it, it's hard to know that you can actually, it, I guess it's coming up with strategies, coming up with strategies to come out with the, the end piece that looks just like anybody else who just wrote it up. So I'm, and, and on that vein, I met a family 
gosh, three years ago, most amazing family, four kids in this family, three out of the four were dyslexic. It was the oldest child who was not dyslexic. And it, the oldest child was at that time close to completing their PhD and they were going to be a college professor. I don't remember in, in what subject area. The second oldest child was a nurse. She had already completed her nursing degree and she was working on an, on an advanced nursing degree. Um, she was one of the more mild of the three, but it was dyslexia had still been a pretty good struggle for her. Her older sister had always been her editor. So she, this, this woman, this nurse would, um, she said she, she planned really, as soon as she got the assignment, she started planning out her writing assignments and she would go through multiple drafts and she would take it as far as she could possibly take it. And then she would send it to her sister and go edit. Mm -hmm. And her sister would go through and clean it up uh, from, from a formatting perspective and, you know, correct grammar, correct spelling and send it back to her. And this, this woman, this nurse was like, that's been my coping mechanism is my sister is, is my editor. And she's mm -hmm. been gracious enough to be my editor, my entire educational career. Mm -hmm. like, I'm so blessed to have this person in my life who can do that for me. But what's, that's, what's so profound about Titan's piece is it shows an, mm -hmm. an eight year old dyslexic child's beautiful words mm -hmm. unedited. So it's got all the grammar mistakes mm -hmm. and all the spelling mistakes and then the edited version. And it's just, it's so beautiful. And I was so honored that his first, his mom had that idea that she wanted to share mm -hmm. both sides of, the, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of that effort. And then we, we published it too. And it's just, it's such a beautiful piece. It's such a touching piece. Oh, so, and I I love that so much because so many of um, my students have so many brilliant ideas that if they could just get them out, it, it would be so powerful for them and for others to be able to read it. And I find that um, it's like that meme I posted on my page about spelling is difficult, cross it off. Spelling is, you know, challenging, cross it off. Spelling is hard, right? So we're going right. to take the, the easiest one. And so we're going to write the most... That we're going to write the simplest thoughts we can get out on paper. If someone tells us, you know, asks us, what is our opinion? My opinion is that it was good. You know, it's, we're not, and yet the student can express so much and explain so much orally and yet getting it out on paper. So I, 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 I just, I honor that so much because it, it is showing so many people that don't get limited by these challenges because there are ways around it. Thank you, Titan, so much for saying that. And, and if, I mean, just for doing it and for, putting that message out there because um like you said beautiful words why should those beautiful words not be put out there right but they're right. not because it's too challenging right. so if we can find ways and we can have people scribe for us when we, when we get, want to get our thoughts out so, I, mean, I, I find it interesting sometimes i always say to students writing is just thoughts written down because i think there's such a disconnect between these beautiful thoughts inside of you know these individuals heads and getting them down on paper because of the challenge of getting them down on paper so oh that is that is huge it's huge on a lot of levels titan really huge because it's it's opening the doors of saying look what I can accomplish in spite of my challenges. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's what I want to celebrate. I want to celebrate when I'm talking about gifts. I want to celebrate the fact that 
Sometimes it's the ideas inside of the head. It's not the get, it's not the, you know, how it looks when it's out on paper. It's just that you have brilliant ideas. And that's that, that highly creative mind. Um, I want to encourage one more time and we'll put the link because I brought this up several times before. But if you look at the characteristics of the uh, 20 characteristics of highly creative people, it also kind of mirrors dyslexia. So if you think about one of the gifts, as we talk about gifts, um, is a highly creative mind. And so Titan is helping to, to open that door to say, you know, let's get these highly creative thoughts down on paper. Let's, let's put our beautiful thoughts on paper and it's okay because there's, there's ways we can do it. So I love that. So I'm answering a question real quick. And we probably um, wrap it up, huh? <laughs> yes. This so been a great discussion though today. It really has, but I, I really wanted to um, thank Kazak for coming on um, and, you know, wanting to talk about his gifts and, um, I know we brought up Titan too, but, uh, it's just, you know, these, these kids take my breath away that they, you know, they want to share their journey. They want to share their story mm -hmm. with everybody and they want to show, you know, because I've been saying it a lot lately, you know, we're, we're treating dyslexia as though it's a disability and it's not. Mm -hmm. Um, and we need to really stop doing that. But it's through voice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it is, we, we, we listen to the children. We do. I mean, I like to think we do, you know, sometimes our voices get droned out, you know, because we've had the same, the same message, the same voices. But when we have new, new young voices and new voices and people who are really living it, speaking their truth, I think that is so powerful. And I just, yeah, no, I am so grateful to, to Zach for sharing his message because he is very um, articulate and very, um, it's another one of his gifts, very able to express and communicate his journey and what he's been through and, 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 and really inspire. And he has a desire to inspire. And I love that. So real quick to Susan, um, we were talking about the Gort, the C-Top 2 and the FAR. Uh -huh. And EK had one more question. And what were the spelling tests that you liked? The developmental spelling list, is that what it was? So it's the called the code knowledge test is one of them. And the other one is the um, developmental spelling assessment because it's the DSA. Come on, that's the right acronym, yes. So you used to be able to get the developmental spelling assessment online for free, um, but I haven't been able to find it lately. So, um, And I know Graham's been given the test of written spelling, the TWS, I think the fifth version. I like the code knowledge test because it looks at all the code. So basically mm -hmm. all the spelling code. So if they, you know, the, to know if they know DGE, to know if they know soft C, to know if they know the vowel patterns, all of the spelling code is on the code knowledge test. So I really like that one. But the okay. developmental spelling assessment looks at, is a good one, um, you know, just developmentally what they should have. Uh, yeah, they're similar. All right. Well, thank you everybody for joining us. We've run really long, so we're going to wrap up here. Um, we will be back soon. We don't have our next one exactly scheduled yet, but it will be very, very quickly. And you can find the link to that date, time, and subject, possibly guest, on our page at the Dyslexia Initiative in the event section. So I hope everybody has a really great weekend. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday. <laughs>